Uh, personally, I wanted to say a word of thanks as we uh, get started here uh, for something that you that uh, many of you did a few months ago during Pastor Appreciation Month. We received a, a, a gift from you, and I wanted to say thank you for that because uh, you told us, you, I think there's a threat in there too somewhere, that I wasn't allowed to use it on bills because that was where my mind went, man. Right away, I was like, ha. But no, I was told I couldn't do that. And so Sarah and I took that as a challenge and we combined it with some air miles that we'd been saving up for years and a few other gifts that we'd been given. And, and we were able to go on a trip the, and a vacation, the likes of which we'd never been on before. So we are really, really, really thankful to you for giving us, uh, for blessing us in that way. It was quite an adventure and, and uh, it's something that we'll remember always. So thank you. Speaking of great adventures, uh, if you could please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. As I mentioned, if you don't have one, grab one in the back. There's going to be some words up here uh, later on. We're going to be reading out of the ESV for anybody that's curious, uh, but also feel free to use your phones, use your tablets, uh, whatever means necessary, or you can just listen to me. Uh, we're starting a new series today, and it's called As Numerous as the Stars. Oh. I'm, th I'm throwing you off, I'm sorry. It's called As Numerous as the Stars. And this is a series that uh, we're going to be hearing a number of stories over the next few weeks that really form the backstory of our faith. These are stories uh, that will remind us where we've been as a people, uh, hopefully remind us where we don't want to be going back to. And I think most importantly, the direction that we're going if we've put our faith and in, in trust in Jesus, the hope that we have in this. We know that God is good through these, and he's leading us back into a full relationship with him. I think, uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I think a journey is a pretty incredible thing, being able to go on these things. And part of what makes them exciting, at least for me, is when there's an element of the unknown. And for the, the main human character uh, that we're going to be learning about over this series, and, and today especially, Abram, uh, he will become Abraham later, but right now he's Abram. Uh, there was a ton of the unknown when it came to this guy's journey. There was a lot of things that he wasn't aware of. He had, uh, well, I'll just pause there and I'm just going to read the, the passage right now. So Genesis 12, I'm just going to do uh, verses 1 to 9. You're also going to notice that my head is going to be going th through the PowerPoint as the day goes on. So I'm just going to own that. And... Uh, Hopefully it won't be too much of a distraction, but I, I just, I pace. So I'll stand over here right now. So this is the call of Abram, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9. Now, the Lord said to Abram, by the way, he, I don't know if I already mentioned it, he's going to become Abraham. This isn't a typo. Just right now, he's Abram. God's going to change his name. You're going to notice his wife's name in this is Sarai. It's going to become Sarah later on. It's just a cool thing that God does. So now it's Abram. To the beginning. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all your families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took his Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they had gathered, and the people that had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. 
Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So you can see Abram, he is made an offer here. God makes Abram an offer here. It's couched inside a number of prom- or sorry, it's a lot of promises that he delivers to him, but it's couched inside an offer. If you go and do this, then I will respond in this way. The neat thing about these promises as we think about them, and particularly because we are on this side of them, is we know that these promises will eventually come true. That's something that we get to uh, have in our back pocket as we're reading through these things. And because of that, as we read through the passage today, the big idea, the thing that we want to keep at the forefront of our minds is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. This is a very profound truth that's really easy to say, but it's really tough to believe because typically our reference towards promise keeping is other people. And as much as most people, at least in my life, are, are pretty good at keeping promises, I don't know anybody who's batting a thousand. And so that's our referent as far as promise keepers. People can let us down. So today, I want to set the stage for us for this series, but also uh, for us to be thinking through what it means to be uh, or to know that God is a promise keeper. And so why we have also a good understanding of why this situation even has to happen in the first place, why Abram has to go through this and why it's so cool. Because I really hope if you ever struggle with the idea of God's goodness or God's faithfulness or even his existence, that what we're going to talk about today is going to be able to give you hope and to give you a good perspective with which to sort of lay a good foundation on. Because make no mistake, he does keep his promises. But before we get back into the text, I want to give us a little bit of a context. And this is going to be for us to, to truly understand what today's passage is about. We need to get back, uh, go back a little bit and hear what the story or what has happened in the story thus far. So we're going to backtrack a bit. I'm going to get a bit of the Spark Notes version uh, just for time's purposes. So the book of Genesis, it opens with God creating. And there was darkness and he created out of the void with just the words of his mouth. He created everything into existence. Everything that we see, hear, touch, it's all because God created it. And from there, the Genesis account gives it over days. There's days of creation. And on the sixth day, God creates someone or someones in his image. Throughout the creation, God continually was saying it was good, it was good, it was good. Everything was the way that he wanted it. And now he came to what is known as the pinnacle of creation, and that's humanity. Humanity creates them, or sorry, God creates humanity, and he puts them in this idyllic setting called the Garden of Eden. And so he puts them in the garden and he sets them free and says, go to town, right? Procreate, live it up, live off the land, have fun, but I'm going to give you one rule. And that one rule is, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. You got one rule. Don't do that. I say it a lot because that's foreshadowing if you don't know. Uh, So a, a little while later, Eve's going through the garden and there's this crafty serpent that she comes across. And the serpent gives her 
reason to believe that what God is saying isn't true. He says, no, 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 don't worry about it. You can eat from this. It's not going to be a big deal. In fact, it's actually going to be better for you if you eat this. So Eve says, wow, why wouldn't I want something better for me? Okay. So she takes the fruit. She has some. She passes some to Adam. They both partake in it. Immediately, guilt and shame comes down upon them. And they think, what did we just do? So they hide. But God, being God, knows where they are. And he confronts them. He curses the serpent, he curses the people and banishes them from the Garden of Eden. He sends them out. Adam and Eve end up having a couple of sons, Cain and Abel. Cain, he's a, herd, or sorry, he's a farmer, and he, out of his version of worship to God, gives God a bit of a pittance from his farms. Abel, he's a herdsman, gives him the fattest portions, the best portions as a means of worship to God. Now, for whatever reason, this enrages Cain. He, he's mad at his brother for outdoing him, so he kills him in cold blood. So God comes down, and instead of exacting retribution in the form of you know, eye for an eye, he doesn't kill him, but he sends him out to wander the lands east of Eden. Takes him out, and he says, you're going to wander this earth. That Adam and Eve end up having another son named Shem, and then the world keeps populating people continue to get eviler and eviler as time goes on. And finally, God says, I'm going to hit the reset button, save for one family. So he makes a pact with a gentleman by the name of Noah and his family. And so he says to them, guys, I need you, or Noah, I need you to build a really big boat. Go and build the boat, the ark, and get on it. And we're going to fill it with your family and a bunch of animals. And then the flood's going to come. And so that's exactly what happened. People were given an opportunity. They didn't take it. God hits, hits reset. So after this happens, they come out. God puts a rainbow in the sky. This is my pack to you with the land, the animals, the people, everything. This isn't going to happen again. But let, let's try to keep up. Let, let's try to do better this time. In truly human fashion, though, Noah quickly uh, builds, or sorry, plants a vineyard and gets super drunk. And during his drunken stupor, he is naked and his son Ham discovers him, and there's a, there's a cultural piece there, but this enrages uh, Noah. So Noah curses Ham and says, your descendants, the Canaanites, this is foreshadowing, your, your, your descendants, the Canaanites, are going to serve the descendants of your brothers. So who do you think the descendants of, from the brothers are going to be? Israelites and Jesus, right? So this is, this is what's going on. So the Canaanites now are essentially... Uh, they don't have good things on the horizon for that. And then right after that, there's a genealogy where it goes through Noah's descendants with the three sons and all of that. Finally, people keep getting worse. The corruption in humanity keeps getting worse until they end up going west into a place called Babylon. And there they start to build a tower. This is known as the Tower of... Anybody? Babel, right? It's Tower of Babel. So they build this. Why? Because they want to reach the heavens. They want to go up there because they think they're autonomous. They're, they're awesome. They can do things from their own power. They don't need God. So they're going to build this tower. God, you know, rolls his eyes or, or whatever and says, oh, come on guys. And then he destroys the tower and then scatters them. They get new languages. And this is when nations essentially are born. People go all out from that. And then now we have Abram. So that's where we come to. That's what's happened along the story. This is the, the shortened version, but this is where we go. So I hope you can detect a pattern. God does something amazing for people, and then we screw it up, right? God does something nice, we screw it up, something nice, screw it up. 
This is how these things go. So now we come to Abraham and now we see, or we're going to see God's divine plan to save the world. Okay, so back to verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So how's that for travel plans? Hey God, where are we going? To the land I will show you. It's kind of like I remember going on trips when I was a kid sitting in the back seat. When are we going to get there? When we get there, right? Right, right. Not, not a lot of information there, right? There's, there's a lot of uncertainty. Some of us are good with that. Others, not so much. But the thing that we need to know here and we really need to see is it's God setting the tone. God is setting tone. He is the one that's directing Abraham. Up to this point, God has been really, really gracious with allowing people the opportunity to try to figure it out for themselves. And it hasn't gone well, right? It's been face plant after face plant. Group of humans left to their own devices, going sideways. God has given us, and by by us, I mean all of humanity, plenty of chances and we've blown it. At this point, I, I want to hit pause just really quickly. And I want to explain, because I, I know maybe some of you might be thinking, because I know this is what I'd be thinking. Why does he keep saying us and we? This happened like 4,000 years ago. Why? Like, I wasn't born then. Why does he keep saying us and, and we? I want to talk about the, the corporateness, right? The, the communal aspects of, of sin or, or rebellion against God and how we, no matter what era we live in, we can end up impacting other people. For some of us, this is pretty obvious. Others of us, not so obvious. So let's pretend for a second that uh, every person in this room is, is just pretend you guys are all perfect, right? And this is pretty easy for me to, to get. And, but, I, but I'm not. I, I'm not perfect. That's even easier to, to get. So we decide we're going to go on a trip and we got it. Someone suggests, hey, let's go to the Galapagos Islands, right? There's some cool wildlife there and whatever. We're going to go see that. We want to go see giant sea tortoises. And I'm like, who doesn't want to see giant sea tortoises? So we get on a plane. We all head down. We're in the Galapagos Islands and we go to the part where you can see the giant sea tortoises. It's not like blocked off or anything like that. And I see one and I'm like, man, I want to ride one of those bad boys. And you guys look at me and you're like, oh, There he goes again. So I whip out this little bridle that I happen to bring with me and I whip it over the neck of the sea tortoise and next thing you know, woohoo, I'm riding a sea tortoise, having a great time. What do you think's gonna happen to me? Sea tortoises, by the way, they're endangered, right? What do you think's gonna happen to me? Probably gonna get in trouble, right? What what do you think some of the consequences of this gonna be? Who who do you think's gonna get to, to go and hang out near the sea tortoises after this in this part of the beach? Not me, not anybody, right? It it doesn't even matter. You guys are all perfect in this scenario. All of a sudden, none of you guys get to go and spend any time. Even though you didn't do anything wrong, you're you're now in a way being punished for my stupidity. Do you follow me there? So even if we weren't perfect, I know, again, it's a stretch. Even if you guys weren't perfect, we still all live in a world where we may be able to do something wrong that's going to end up impacting other people in the wrong way. We're all capable, capable of doing something that is going to negatively impact others. So this is why God is asserting his lordship. He's, he's saying, I have a plan. It needs to be exacted. And because he knows that ultimately we as a group See, individuals might be, might, I'll just for the sake of argument, in, an individual might be able to figure it out. I don't think that's true, but just pretend. But as a group, we're going to screw this up. And so God is saying, I'm going to handle this. I got this. 
I have a plan and we're going to do this. And this plan involves Abram leaving behind everything he holds dear save for his barren wife. And this is significant to know based on what God says next. So he's just talked about the land and said, you know what, you guys are going to get this land. Verse two, then I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, through you. So here God completes his set of promises to Abraham. So we see there's the land promise, we see descendants, the nation, and then we see the blessing that's going to come through that. And if you, if you look close, remember when we talked about Babel? Is it Babel or Babel? I think it's, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's either, hey? <laughs> Shouldn't I know that? Babel, this is a reverse to that fiasco, right? Like this is, this is a, a reverse to that. People had decided that they didn't need God. They were trying to make, make a name for themselves. Look at verse two, right? And I will make, I will make, God will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name Great. When you read the, the passage in Babel, that's what they were trying to do, trying to make a name for themselves. But this is happening, though, on God's terms, not Abram's terms, not anybody else's terms, just on God's terms. The people of Babel, they couldn't figure out things for themselves. And it's funny because we, we'll try, right? Uh, I lived on, I got to give my testimony the other night and uh, here, and I talked a lot about, I used to live on the streets and stuff, and, and street folks, we have a really uh, incredible way at making things happen that you would never think we could do, but even think, uh, and I think humanity in general, if we want to do something, we're going to figure it out, right? Take the HOV lane. Someone's driving along by themselves, and they're like, man, they're seeing other people, not even driving, they're in the parking lot, right, by the 264 exit, or no, I guess there's no HOV lane, a little bit further up, and they're watching everybody going by, and they're like, I want to do that, but I drive by myself. Enter blow-up doll in the passenger seat, right? Or, or someone throws a, a, like a baby car seat back there or whatever. All of a sudden, hey, it's me and I got, see, there's two people in the car. And we'll think of weird little ways that we're going to be able to circumvent what we want to, or what is holding us back from doing what we want to do. But not this time. This isn't on God's term and his plans, it's not going to work like that. This is, so it's an inversion of the tortoise riding lady, right? Through one person. By the way, do you know how I know that that would happen? Because it actually happened. I saw the picture of it, of a woman riding a, a giant sea tortoise. And then all of a sudden, every, nobody was allowed to go look at the sea tortoises anymore. That, it happened. I just switched me with the lady. So through one person can come destruction, right? But through one person can come salvation, when you read through the New Testament, you're going to see a lot of a comparison between Adam, first man, and then Jesus, also referred to as the second Adam. So through Adam comes sin and destruction. So in through Adam, out through Jesus. There's this really beautiful symmetry to God's plan for us. But the, the effects of that plan aren't symmetrical. They're weighted heavily, heavily on the side of goodness, truth, and beauty being meted out in the lives of people that receive this blessing. It's not, it's not balanced at all. And this is the way it should be. You know how we know it's the way it should be? Because these promises have already been fulfilled. 
in fact, well, one of them is still being fulfilled all the time. God set in motion a plan that took 2,000 years to fulfill, but eventually, or to be able to continue to be fulfilled, but eventually, Abraham got his descendants, right? He had, he had a son that became a nation, Israel. They received their land. They, kind of, they goofed it up quite a bit. Uh, as you read, you'll, you'll get to that. But then eventually, through those descendants, through that time, Jesus was born, and through him, all of the families in the world have been blessed and continue to be blessed. Woo! Isn't, like, it, this is amazing that this story, so we can look back, and they, they called it, and it happened. Like, sorry, I just, I just get really excited about that. In his sermon at Solomon's portico, Peter, he urges his, his fellow Jews, because he, he's talking to them, and he's trying to explain this to them, and he's talking to them about repentance and that they will actually receive the fulfillment of the ancient promise that they've been waiting for for so long. In Acts 3, Peter's quoted as saying, you are the children of those prophets and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Those same sinful ways that are standing in between you and your relationship with God. Jesus came to obliterate that. But it doesn't happen, at least in this iteration of the plan, unless Abraham goes. What would you do if you were him? All of a sudden, God's talking to you. Because, I mean, it's not as simple as we might think. We read this and think, okay, yeah, because, right, he lived in that time. Uh, religious skepticism wasn't as big of a deal as it is in our time, right? Like this supernatural skepticism, I think, right now, is a, is a pretty big deal. For him, though, it probably would have seemed pretty normal. But we live in an, in an era, in an age, where some men, namely, I'll, I'll name a couple of them, um, a gentleman by the name of Richard Dawkins and another by uh, the name of Peter Atkins. These guys are some of the so-called new atheists. And they say that given the same opportunity, so incontrovertible proof that God exists by him unmistakably coming to talk to them, appearing in front of them, they would instead choose to believe that they were mistaken. They would choose to believe Instead, that they had somehow gone insane. Why? Because they don't want to believe that God exists. And this is, this is the age we live in. So what would happen if God appeared to you? Would you believe him? What did Abraham do? Verse 4, I love this. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I, re- I just love this. So Abram went. It's simple. It's like, okay, let's go. Let's see what you got. Not a lot of complaining or second guessing or gone showiness, at least at this point. He just goes and he goes at 75. Now, this is significant for for a lot of us to think about because this proves that you can teach an old dog new tricks, right? There's this, there's no a lot of us get this idea that, okay, we get to be a certain age and then we're going to, we just, we got to sort of drift back into the background and, and let the next generation take over because, you know, there, we live in the cult of youth and all of a sudden people with wisdom all of a sudden don't have anything to share anymore all of a sudden in this weird era that we live in. But you don't, you don't get to, re- we don't retire from living our life for God. We don't retire from ministry. We retire when we, when we 
when we go, right? Like that's it. When we're then glorified in heaven, that's retiring from this life. Roles may shift or things change, but, but God, no matter how old we are, he wants our whole life. So what does Abram do? Verse five, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Remember the Canaanites? They're gonna be in the sack. But this is, this is a lot to consider, though, for Abram as we consider all of what he's doing because he's still a person. He's still a man. God coming and talking to him audibly or visibly or whatever it was, notwithstanding, he's still a person, right? He's older. He's comfortable. He, he has, at this point, no descendants of, your, of his own. So when you have family, especially if you can't be creating your own family to, to further it, you don't just wander off from what you have. There's, there's no Shady Acres Retirement Home or CPP or, or whatever it is that's going to look after you, right? Like your, your retirement is your kids, essentially, or your family. That's what's going on. And so he's choosing to leave that and, and hope, right? Like he's, he's hoping in this guy, this God that he's just met. But he did. He went without seemingly any questions. And second half of verse five, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were there. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'm going to give you this land. So perhaps to encourage Abram as he's going along here along the way, God appears to him and he reiterates the promises, right? What you're... Land and kids, land and kids, you're going to get these things. Working out can be a, a bit of a grind, hey? I've never, I've never had a, a personal trainer before, but sometimes I'll use these uh, apps that they have like a personal trainer built in, someone that's sitting there talking along as, as you're doing the exercise. And some of them are, are good trainers or funny or, or whatever, and some of them not so good, but they're all helpful. When? When I'm thinking about giving up. They, they come in and, and they tell me, they yell at me through my little phone speakers, or little computer speakers, keep going, you're almost done, right? Keep going, keep going. God here is appearing to, to Abram and he's telling him to keep going. But he's also pointing something out here that this Abram going, it's not just for God's necessarily, like he, Abram's not being the, completely sacrificial in this. I'll put it that way. Because here in this situation, God's glory and his plan is wanting, to be, is wanting to be fulfilled. But what he's been promised, what Abram's been promised, is something that everybody in this person's life would, and situation would want. He, he wants to have a family. Legacy is built up into that, descendants, the whole retirement thing, all of that life, a lot of the time in these people's minds were wound up 100% into having kids. So all of a sudden now, he's getting that. It's like a carrot on the end of a stick, in a sense. He's being encouraged to keep going. God's keeping his, his eyes on the prize, as it were. But as we read this, this one part, I think that there's a, a little elephant in the room that I just I want to just to point out really quickly um, because it's, it's a touchy subject. And I'm not trying to be cute about it or make light of it. But it, he says, I'm going to give you this land, but, but there's a problem there because... There's somebody already in it, namely the Canaanites. So if they're there first, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be their land, right? Like that's, that's sort of the question we have to ask. But 
a better question to ask, I think, for us and for anybody in, in any sort of situation as it comes to anything that we can possess, right, is whose is it? Whose is it really? Don't stop me if you've heard this one. So God and this guy are sitting at the beach and they're having this discussion and it, it turns into a bit of a debate and this guy uh, is basically saying to God, you know, I just don't think you're that big a deal, right? You know, anybody can create, any, can create stuff. Like, I, I don't see what the big deal with you is. And God's like, okay, well, hey, I'm game. Show me what you got, right? So the guy leans over, he's at the beach and he's like, oh, I'm going to make a sandcastle. So he starts to pull the sand in to make a sandcastle and, and then God stops him and says, sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to get your own sand. <laughs> who's, whose is it, right? Like this is, this is a question that we've been struggling with as, as humanity from the very beginning and, and we've, we're going through sort of two-thirds of the way through a series on generosity. And I know I talked about it a couple weeks ago, but, but like whose, whose money is it? Whose house is it? Whose, whose whatever is it? It's God's, right? Like it, it, this is God's. And like I said, I'm not trying to be cute, but the, the lesson that we're trying to get here is that everything is God's and he can do with it as he, as he pleases, as he sees fit, as a person who has full knowledge of everything that's going on, can see everything from every angle and knows what's best for humanity as a whole. Remember, it's not, a, it's, well, it's kind of about the individual, but it's mostly about getting a people to a place, right? Preparing a people for a place and a place for his people. How do we do that the best way? And he's decided that the best way was to give the Israelites that land. So how does Abram respond? Second half of verse seven. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. But, oh no, sorry, there's no but. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham, Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. So here we see Abram responded by worshiping God. Again and again, he worshiped God. And he kept going. He kept pushing forward. We don't really know what was happening to him, but chances are he was experiencing some sort of struggles along the way. We can imagine it wasn't always safe to be traveling in these times, but nevertheless, he's going, God's with him. And the story is going to continue, but just not today. You're going to have to wait till a couple of weeks for the next installment. But in the meantime, what does a story that happened roughly 4,000 years ago have to do with us today? What does it have to do with us today? Because it's really interesting on this side of the promises, how we can rest, can't we, right? Like it's, most of the stuff's been fulfilled. Jesus has come. He's, he's died for, for the sins of the world. He's risen in glory, ascended to the Father, and now we're waiting for him to come back. If we're just waiting, that doesn't sound very fun, does it? Not very exciting if we're just kind of sitting on our hands and we're twiddling our thumbs. But that's not what the call is. God, through Jesus, is still making an offer that we if we're followers of Jesus, shouldn't refuse. Follow me. Follow me. Forget safety, forget comfort, forget looking out for number one and follow me. Be, be like Abram. One of my favorite stories from the life of Jesus when, uh, when he was approached by some guys that were trying to stir some stuff up. 
they came up to them and thinking they were being sneaky, sneaky, right? They're crafty guys. And they come up and they say, hey, Jesus, who should we pay taxes to? And Jesus, knowing that they're sneaky, sneaky, and knowing what they're trying to do, because they're, 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 they think they have them either way, right? Because they, they think, okay, if he says, well, just pay the taxes to Caesar, they'll say that Jesus is in cahoots with the man and selling out his own people. Or if he says, don't pay taxes, then he'll go to the man, the Romans, and, and sell him out for being some sort of a political subversive. So they're like, ha, we got you now. But as I've said before, Jesus's mama didn't raise no fool. And he said, hey, give me a coin. And so they pass him a coin and he goes, whose image is on this? Caesar's. Okay. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And if you're reading this in, in Matthew 22, it says that the people that had come up and challenged him like this went away and they were amazed. Why were they amazed? They were amazed because they knew who bore or what bore God's image. And that is them. They bore God's image. You bore God's image. I bear God's image. God just wants us. That's it. He just wants us to give our life to him. Our whole life. Just like he wanted Abram's. And just like Abram gave that. He wants to take us on, on this great adventure that might be full of peril. One of the coolest things Jesus ever said as a promise to us was that as he ascended, that he would be with us until the end of the age. And we know that we can trust that. Why? Because God keeps his promises. And because God keeps his promises, we can celebrate communion as a community. I'm going to ask our ushers to please come forward. So we're going to participate in communion. We can celebrate because of these great promises of God, we can celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus, who is Abraham or Abram's descendant and the promised blessing to all the families of the world. While he was here, he was teaching us and showing us what it meant to truly live, love God and love other people. He asked us to remember him in this ceremony, to remember his sacrifice. So as the, the band's going to softly play a song, I'm just going to pray for us to prepare our hearts and then we're going to hand out the elements. Just hang on to them and then we'll all take them together. Father, thank you for this wonderful time of celebration that we can think about you and the fact that you do keep your promises to us, that you've given us your son as a means of knowing you fully, being in full relationship with you, and then through you, we can then bless people. We can go to the ends of the earth to show people your love, to, to give them hugs, soup, whatever that they need. We can then provide that in your name and for your glory. So thank you for that. And now, as we hand these out, Lord, just speak to our hearts. Give us something to think about. Uh, yeah, we pray this in your name. Amen.